You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. You're painful. Don't, don't tell me you hate Don't tell me what you're going to lie After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is SequelCast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is Thrasher. And if I betray my brothers, may I be slain by five thunderbolts and alex and if i covet from my brothers shall i be struck with five bolts of lightning of course we are talking about the um hong kong duology covetous brothers lightning fast action no we're talking about election the uh, starring matthew broderick and reese witherspoon right in which matt in which uh, Matthew Broderick eats Reese Witherspoon's tiny head in his mouth. Um, kind of like that old poster. No, uh, we're talking about Election, part of a duology films, uh, and it's Chinese titled, uh, translates roughly to Black Society, which is a reference to the, the triad. So this is a, a Chinese a gangster movie, um, as opposed to uh, a while ago we talked about the five original Yakuza paper movies. So um, directed by Johnny Toe. Um, so Alex, I mean, you're the one that chose this duology for us to, to cover. Thank you. That's my kitty cat, uh, dandelion meowing. He's a Persian and he, they're known for their musical meow for whatever that means. Um, so this, this movie election is something you chose and what do you think, you know, makes it stand out? The, the crime films in Hong Kong or a dime a dozen, but what makes this one so special? I mean, it's more recent, it's contemporary. Right, and what I think is so fascinating is that um, everything in Hong Kong cinema is kind of like, you have the pre-handover gangster films um, that are more like, you know, bullet ballets, like the John Woo and Choi Hark stuff, like, you know, you have The Killer and Hard Boiled and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, Hong Kong um, rejoined uh, mainland China as the British lease expired in 1997. After that, um, Johnny To, who was kind of an early player in the Hong Kong New Wave, um, really flourished. But um, the face of the gangster film kind of changed and went less from like Peck and Paw inspired bullet ballets to more tacit turn, um, more uh, pristine, technically um, realized films like uh, the work of Johnny To. And while he was capable of doing, you know, uh, very, you know, elaborate action scenes, something like Election is really fascinating because you see the machinations of uh, triads and gangsters, but it's very de-glamorized and it's very much, um, it's actualized much more. And what's interesting is that you have a uh, gangster saga with um, very little gun violence, which is another, I think, uh, reflection of uh, contemporary Chinese um, triads and uh, and the current uh, Hong Kong social climate within the criminal underworld do you think some of the the less sort of violence or over the top like from you know like a john woo picture uh or, or something is has to do with uh, perhaps restrictions in 
China from the the Chinese government with how it has more of an influence on on film? Um, yeah, I think uh, something like um, you know, if you look at something like Hard Boiled and something like um, Election, they're they're two very different films, and sure. I think the um, there's a little more cynicism uh, to Johnny Toe as opposed to the more uh, romanticism of someone like John Woo. And I think the um, affordability of, uh, of more whimsical and romantic action that you'd see in John Woo and Choi Hark, I think, was very much a result of um, the sovereignty of Hong Kong and operating under the British lease when it allowed a much more flourishing economic climate than it does now. Um, it's a, it's a very fascinating well to dive down, and I don't want to go too deep on it because sure. it's a movie podcast. But um, yeah. it's something that's really uh, enamored my interest over the years. And um, and don't get me wrong, I love 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 Johnny John Woo and um, mm-hmm. all of the whizzing bullets and beautiful violence that he puts on screen. Um, the more taciturn um, Johnny Toe is uh, is really fascinating. Whereas you go from you go from, like I said, Peck and Pond-inspired, you know, violence to this this more reflective of, like, Michael Mann or Jerry Brockheimer, almost. Yeah, and looking at this one in the sequel we're talking about next week, uh, Election, um, was it Election Triad, or? Uh, triad Election, it was originally called Election 2, which makes sense, yep. Election, mm-hmm, election. But they, they both came out, you know, one year after the other, they, um, the, the output of, uh, you know, not just Hong Kong, but Chinese cinema in general, they can really pump them out, for, for lack of a better word, they do. Quick, oh, yeah, uh, quick and, uh, productions, and but they're also not like you know five hundred million dollar superhero films. Uh, so I mean, yeah, exactly. Thrasher, I don't know about you. The first time I saw this was for this podcast. Do you have any kind of initial reactions? A, a, a lot, and the thing that uh, you you mentioned Peck and Paul, the something that really stood out to me just from the very beginning uh, is this. Uh, you know, we we talk a lot when we talk about westerns about how uh, you know, how the westerns were sort of heavily influenced by Kurosawa films, and then in this movie, I see an American western influence all over this particular gangster movie. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, what stuck out to me, something that's also true of um, Yakuza papers, is it's really true of a lot of um, Asian cinema in general compared to I don't know, like an American gangster movie is you're just thrown right in there in the middle of things. They don't say, you know, they don't do kind of a slow introduction of the characters when they're kids explaining why everything happened. You're just kind of thrown in the middle of these pretty uh, complex conversations and it treats the audience as adults. They said, we, we, can, we know you're going to, you know, probably watch this more than once to get all the nuances and uh, we trust your intelligence. But we're not going to have a... Yeah, go on. Well, beyond beyond that, like the action, the real action in this movie doesn't really get going until about forty minutes in, because that first forty minutes, there every everyone in the movie is given plenty of time to breathe, and we mm-hmm. get to and we get to see their philosophies and their politics and and their goals and driving forces. And there's a lot of characters to deal with in this movie, so I'm glad we have that time. But I just oh, I, yeah. I really appreciate that even though we start in the middle of this highly contested election, we we still there's still time and care taken to let us really get to know these characters. And what I like too is that, like you said, um, the action doesn't really get going till about you know about the halfway point, about forty minutes in. And also, we're not really introduced to our two main characters, which is uh, Big D and Locke. And for like the first few minutes, you see the cops raid their little meeting, you know, and. They're like, oh, this isn't triad. Like, women are playing mahjong. Children are playing, you know. 
and then you see that these guys are really trying to, you know, uh, present themselves as legitimate, um, as legitimate business players when in all actuality they're definitely not. And I also, um, and I like that the titular election, you know, you think that's going to be the big climax when actually the result of the election is happens pretty quick. It's mm-hmm. within the first about I think twenty minutes of the film. It's the um, it's it's that result which kicks off the action, <laughs> and someone's not too happy with the result. Right, and you look at, I mean, the beginning with everyone playing Mahjong, and I really like the way uh, we mentioned this is directed by Johnny Toe, but the cinematography is by I'm gonna mangle these names. I apologize, Chen Chen Su Kane, and um, I really like how this is shot. You have a lot of long shots. And kind of graceful camera movements. It's not all like up close handheld. It um, it allows for a bit of breathing in the scenes, which is nice. And, and just you get a, a nice sense of clutter in the beginning with the, the women playing the Majon. And it reminded me I had never learned how to play Majon, and perhaps I should, because it was a huge uh, computer game title that you know right. I knew a lot of people that knew how to play it. Um, <sighs> And I love the intricacies on the tiny little Mahjong pieces. Not, not to have yeah, too much of a tangent, but mm-hmm. I've, I've actually got a, a Mahjong set just because oh, when I was okay. when I was first getting into professional game design, it just felt like, well, this is a game that's withstood the test of time. I really should learn mm-hmm. how to play it, learn about it. And I remember when when I got it, um, I. Uh, my you know mom had noticed that i had among my effects had this mahjong set and she just just had this like little story that uh, you know back back in the 50s mahjong was really popular uh amongst uh chain smoking uh, american suburbanites and oh. she was just talking about how like when when she was when she was uh when she was younger you know her her, her mom and like all of her aunts uh, and like just so many women she knew played mahjong that's just what they would do they would get together on the weekends and that it seemed like the most sophisticated thing in the world to her because it looks like such a daunting complex game oh yeah definitely and i remember like um finding a mahjong set in uh, my closet growing up and I, as a kid i'd always go through yeah. i was so fascinated with the little figures and the engravings sure. and stuff it was so cool um I mean, like they even did, with... just to finish off on the mahjong thing real quick uh, <clears> they <throat> even did mahjong games like on the nintendo which is kind of crazy very simple 8-bit like chonky graphics and you could still have all the the fine chinese lettering it really and even in oh what is it those um the yakuza video games you can play mahjong as a mini game you can play go as a mini game you know all these uh, interesting kind of things to to fill in the time if you like but i mean yeah back to election you were saying alex I like you were saying with the cinematography, and I love these early mm-hmm. scenes, these interiors. They're very dimly lit. You can only, you kind of yep. can't tell who's who at first, and it's it's really intelligent. And it's really telling a Johnny Toast kind of very um, subtly wry style. Is that you know you can't see people's features, and also you're in you know a second level floor. Your you know your light source is going to be you know pretty minimal, and I think it's a it's a really cool visual technique as you're kind of being introduced uh, to these people, like the veils coming off very slowly, you know. Um, yeah, it it works. I'm I'm also reminded a bit of the original Godfather film. It opens at a a wedding, and yeah. you have all sorts of things going on, and you have this big you know social things going on, but also important conversations uh, in the middle of um, you know penis jokes. And, and Francis Ford Coppola has penis jokes at the beginning of all three Godfather films. 
So, <laughs> um, and, and speaking of penis jokes, like a teenage boy, I kept giggling every time they called one of the main characters Big D. <laughs> but I know, I couldn't help that, it. That's my immaturity. Um, I'm right there with you. Don't worry. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think I mean, the cast of this film is really terrific. Yep. Um, it's a lot of a lot of these players are um, Johnny Toe regulars, especially the guy, the central leads, um, the guy playing uh, Locke, Sam and Yams that have been in a ton of his films, uh, and then um, Louis Ku, Nick Chung, uh, Lam Suit, the guy who uh, with the baton and recites the the triad lore, you know, back to him has been in like I think 24 Johnny Toe films over the years. Um, so really great cast of players, but one of the biggest ones is Tony uh, Lung. Who's uh, who plays mm. Big D? He plays him big. He plays him very boisterous, yes. very loud. It's that kind of gangster that we've all seen in movies. But he does something really unique with it, I think, in that he's a little manic. Like in the beginning, he tells the guy to like eat the spoon, and he actually does. Oh, oh that great that scene. was such a, a great scene. And I and I remember because they, they're talking about they're talking about drug deals. You know, right before you know he orders that young man to eat the spoon, and. I kept thinking, oh, the spoon breaks so easily because that's how they're smuggling the drug. Right. They're going right. to like grind it down and you get cocaine or whatever. And then it's, you know, there's kind of a, a slight horror when it realizes, oh, no, he's actually eating a ceramic spoon. Oh, yeah. That is how fanatically loyal this young man is. And no one really stops him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I, but I love that, that that comes back around. When, when that young man comes back, you know, to to do one simple mission, that mm -hmm. fanatical loyalty that that we have seen uh, really brings tension to that scene. Not oh, just yeah. that, but the way he eats the spoon. I mean, I would think if this was an American movie, you know, the the spoon would crack kind of cartoonishly in big pieces, and the guy would would eat it like potato chips when you hear cartoon sound effects. But in this, <laughs> it kind of gets into the nitty gritty. He's like grinding down the pieces, and when he's putting it into oh, his yeah. mouth, it's a mixture of like teeny tiny. Uh, I was going to say soup, that's not right, the spoon uh, bits and, like, sort of big chunks, and he's really, like, eating it with vigor, but he has this, like, kind of dead-eye stare, like, don't fuck with me. It's it's really, uh, says a lot about the character with no dialogue, that he just does right. this. And what I love, too, is that you think, you, you know the reaction from Big D and the other, um, you know, elder of the gang is either going to be one of disgust or one of admiration, whereas it's actually just, like, you idiot, like, you're like a dog. You just fall, like, you would yes, just say yes. anything, do anything that I tell you to do. Yeah, I was you know, joking. Like a... You don't have to do that. <laughs> I mean, kind of like yeah, the like... scene in the first Yakuza paper film where the guy cuts off his finger. Right, and they're like, yeah, you didn't have to do that, you know. What do you do that for? Well, Come on. Kids will be kids, you know, let them, let them romp around. <laughs> um, and it's just so funny because, um, and I love the way he plays it because once he says, like, yeah, I was fucking with your kid like uh, you, don't, you don't have to eat the spoon you're already a dog you just do whatever i tell you <laughs> and then he just owns it he just stares and just keeps yeah. chewing he totally Ugh. commits to it which i i guess i admire i hope that was not an actual spoon but you never know hey yeah might be method, well, you know. well as long as we're talking about whether or not that's an actual spoon uh we'll get we'll talk more about the scene later but there's a scene where someone is beaten savagely with a series of wine bottles and <laughs> Those wine bottles don't break like prop wine bottles. They break right. like real wine bottles. I have to wonder, was that actor actually beaten with real wine bottles? I mean, Tony Lung's pretty, uh, he's a pretty intense actor, so you never know, man. 
I am reminded a bit of a story from The Departed, Martin Scorsese's film, which was kind of a, a remake of a, of a trilogy of, or, or those Chinese or Japanese films, or of Asian Infernal. films at any rate. They were, they were Chinese, yeah. Chinese, yeah, Infernal Affairs. And there's the scene where uh, Jack Nicholson and DiCaprio are having this kind of intense scene, and uh, they spill gasoline or something, they spill some flammable thing on the table, and Nicholson is very angry trying to light it, and that's real stuff. Jack Nicholson was really trying to light the table on fire, and he was angry he couldn't get it to work, which is uh, not safe, but it, it adds a certain tension to the to the scene. I mean, also, it, uh, DiCaprio is bleeding at one point in the scene, and that's real as well. So wow. whether you should do that as an actor, that's up to the individual. I would argue not, but it, that some <clears throat> people kind of go that far. It does make their performance stand out. And yeah, I mean, the, the wine scene in, in, in election with the beating with the bottles is really quite something. I mean, if we keep talking at the film at this pace, this is going to be a six-hour episode. I know, so, right? Um, <laughs> so what I love, though, is that, like I said, you know, you don't get um, you don't get gunplay, which is funny because the way they sell the movie, everyone's holding a gun on the cover, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, so what you get is that instead of gunplay or, you know, your average, um, you know, gangster violence... What you get is, you know, Tony Long rounding up some of the elders and, you know, hammering them into wooden boxes and then rolling them down a mountainside. <laughs> Several <laughs> times. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and you yeah. see the guys, like, push them up, like, higher, higher up the hill. And I'm like, at first, like, what is this? And then later you have the reveal and the makeup is so great with the the kidnapped guys all bruised and bloody and shaking. Like, was, Oh, yeah. It's, mm. it's grimy. And it's also, like... It's like you said, Thrasher. I think it was like, what, what is, what is he doing? Like, like a part of you is like, is that gonna hurt? Is that? And then, oh yeah, of course. You know, you're you're getting rolled down a very rough terrain <laughs> as you're, you know, hammered into a, a wooden crate. Yeah, you're you're gonna get banged up. But it's um, it's kind of frightening how simple and effective it is. Um, mm-hmm. like, you can tell this guy probably like stormed out of a building, saw a couple wooden crates, and said, like, hey guys, grab those, throw them in the back of the van, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I like the, a, oh, sorry, you go. Well, I like I like the contrast between Locke and Big D. Locke, who ends up winning the election, he he sort of represents just a calm, level-headed, mostly yeah. honorable, sort of competent style of leadership. Whereas Big D is is brash. He has he has big ideas, but he's also he's also unpredictable. And he clearly is willing to sell out, you know, other members of the triads to get his way, as we see with with, with the whole kidnapping. And that that's really where the, the tension comes from, because when Locke wins the election, there needs to be this whole swearing in ceremony. And there's this 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 old baton with a dragon's head that is a that's a symbol of the triads that is used in all the big ceremonies, uh, which has been safeguarded by one of the old chairman's friends. And so Big D figures, oh, well, if I get the baton, I can use the fact that I have the baton to force a change in leadership and we can get the election overturned. And and the, that's the first really big conflict in this movie is the, the back and forth of everybody trying to get their hands on the baton. It's brilliant. And I also I love like this like very almost like childish mentality. It's like, well, hey, hey, you don't have the baton. I'll get it first. <laughs> <laughs> like you might have been elected, but I have the baton. Um, 
You know what else I like though, amongst all this is that they're not afraid to date the movie, you know, because everybody has these these different criminal enterprises we touch on. And there's this great scene where they're all eating, where uh, several of the characters are eating barbecue chicken, and the one smuggler's like, "Yeah, I tell you what, I smuggle the best chicken. You know, I like, yeah. I can get like even with all the bird flu, I can get any amount of chicken through the mm-hmm. border." I'm like, oh yeah, 2005, yeah, bird the flu. bird flu. I remember that. I mean, yeah, the bird yeah, flu and. Was 2005. He had another bird flu in 2009. Uh, that year, it was a Penny Arcade Convention Prime, uh, PAX Prime, it's also known as, in Seattle, Washington, when uh, a bird flu thing broke out while I was at the convention, but they didn't tell people until it was over. Um, so, I mean, that was kind oh. of frightening. But you, and then, yeah, it, it, although it does date it, I think that also is, is nice. It adds a bit of, of realism to it that. Hey, not only are these awesome chickens, like I had to do all this extra shit to get them here to make sure they're disease free. And you presume he's telling the truth. Maybe he's not, but right. it's, it, 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 it is a nice, right, um, yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, but it's, it's a nice period <laughs> detail. And uh, I, I do not remember the character's name. Uh, maybe you can help me out on this, Thrasher and Alex, but there's earlier on, there's a scene where they talk a lot about the baton and how it's a hundred years. And the guy mentioned he was the head of the triad in the 19, in 1970. He's a bigger guy. He pours oh, teas for yeah. everyone else. Uh, that's uh, Wong Tin Lam. His character is uncle Tang. Uh, uncle and, Tang. Uh, some and mentor to Johnny Toe. And he's a really mm-hmm. fascinating actor. He's, I liked his performance. He's like a bigger guy, but he has a bit of steely look to him in his eyes. And, and the way the camera goes to a wide shot of him doing this very particular kind of tea ceremony and then it says, okay, time to get your tea. Everyone steps in, picks up these tiny cups of tea and drinks it. And then he does it a second time at the end of one of these scenes. Yeah, that it's, um, he's got a, he's ritual, got a really good way nice. of communicating. Yeah, of communicating a ritual and um, a really fascinating screen presence. And he's another Johnny Toe regular. And um, what I love, too, is that, um, you know, he's, you can tell he's kind of got this, like, you know, gentle giant type uh, vibe. Mm. And but you can also tell that this guy's you know this guy's capable of, of some damage you know or, or was capable at one point, and um, he's kind of like the voice of reason. He's like you know we don't need a brash guy. We need someone who's going to be strong and a good leader. And then um, what I think is so fascinating and it leads to one of the best set pieces and scenes in the film is when they the police intervene and they arrest the Uncle Tong and and Locke and Big D and all these guys, and. Um, He's walking his dog, and he's like, you know, can I can I call my na- can I call my you know <laughs> maid to pick up the dog? Like, don't worry, you don't detain um, animals. And then when they're when they're in jail, um, you know, they go through the usual intake stuff. You know, you get, take away your watch and your belt. And it was one of the important things is that it kind of reinforces that even no one's impervious to the police, and even like the dignified elders, you know, lose their belts at one point and you can see him walking around the jail cell with his fingers in his um, belt loops hold his pants up, which I think is a really nice detail. And yeah, they do. They must have some pull with some of the police because they're free to, even when they're being detained, they're free to, to leave their cells to talk to other people in their organization in other cells. Right. Right. And that, and that's kind of what kicks off the uh, race for the baton is that, you know, they just lean over and whisper something to their lawyer. And I like that Locke's lawyer is kind of in on it, too. Like, he's a, he's a little shady. And um, I also like that Big D's wife is a part of uh, the going-ons going in the uh, triad society. 
right. And yeah. Go on. Oh, and the the argument in the jail where it pans out and you get each uh, cell in the frame. It's like the rule of thirds, and it's like most you know. It's it's such a cool uh, framing device, and it's such a cool setup. I I think it's such a, a fascinating scene, and I love the relationship they have with the police. Uncle Tang's basically like, we can either get this guy to step down, or we can either do like a you know a second Wusing society. And he's like, either way, he's like, it's either this guy steps down or we go to war. That's really it, you know. And he's like, he he rattles off some figures, and he's like, you know, there's what like eighty thousand of us. He's like, can you even hold us all if you were to arrest every triad in China? Mm. And it's kind of like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> there, so there was a scene that, that made me absolutely laugh out loud uh, in, in, in such a good way in this movie. So um, uh, was, is, it, uh, was it, is it Uncle, Uncle Monk who eventually gets the, uh, the baton in China? Um, the guy who recites the, uh, I yeah, might be, can... you know, stabbed the... Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, I think his name's Big Head. Oh, Big Head, yeah, yeah. So Big Head, who's always reciting this, I because it's funny because I I guess it, it it I guess this you know comes down to the like the difference between what, like whether you you're from Hong Kong or or, or from America because as as an American when he says that stuff you might think that it's it's like a non sequitur but I love that at the like later in the movie you find out that all those things he's saying are part of a larger elaborate oath that everyone in the organization has taken. But, you know, he's in mainland China. He's got the baton. He's trying to get it back. He gets ambushed. There's, all, there's this whole chase. Finally, this guy is just beating him with the log, trying, like, you know, where's the baton? Where's the baton? And we keep cutting between that whole ambush and a meeting of a lot of the uncles and the bosses. Uh, and finally, like, okay, well, look, uh, your man, your man, you know, has the baton. He's going to need help getting it back. Uh, I have a really loyal guy who's already in China, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll hook them up. I guarantee they'll, we'll be able to get the baton back, you know, in time for the ceremony. So they both pick up their burner phones. They both make calls. And then we cut back to the fight and then both guys cell phones ring. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> they've been, <laughs> they've been on the same side the whole time. And you like, they're both like very, has, they're both like, all right, you sure it's this guy? Okay. It's big head. All right. All right. Okay. And they both hang up and it's kind of like, so sorry about, you know, and it's funny because initially when he goes to beat him, he's like, he's like, I know you, I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to clobber you with this log. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great bit of business. Oh, sorry, you go. I was just going to say, as we move on towards the end of the film, it just really struck me how there's so many times where you think, Okay, they've reached an agreement. They got this figured out, and then there's another twist. Well, yeah, that's that's really oh, what's yeah. great because you know eventually you know the the baton does get to does get to Locke, and Locke is sworn in, and uh, you you think there's going to be this big fight, and there's this great really high tension scene where it's just Locke and Big D alone in a car, and Locke just kind of spells it out. It's like, hey, I will honor the old chairman's agreement. You get to keep all your money from your business. If there's any new business, we split it 50-50. That's, that's right. you know, my deal. You'll still have a lot of money. Everyone's happy. Right. And, you know, Big D begrudgingly agrees. And then we get these this short series of scenes where, you know, we see how well that agreement works out. Oh, yeah. And and then there's a bit where this, you know, the, I called him, I called him Ponytail Man. This, like, other yep. gangster shows up to have a meeting with Big D. And he has this plan to betray and kill Locke. So Big D calls over Locke 
And then Big T double crosses the ponytail guy. And that's the scene where he gets beaten, you know, with the wine bottles. And we see how loyal Big D has become because that operation's so great. And, like, that whole thing where they're on top of the building looking at the neon lights over the oh, city. Yeah. And he's like, we're going to be so rich. We're making so much money. I look at the city and I see piles of cash. And they both drunkenly start singing that pop song that's playing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, like, you even get, the, like, it's almost comedic where they're riding in the car together with the cigars and this, like, triumphant music is playing. You know, it's like, woo do 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 Like, it's like their fanfare, you know. It's it's like, yeah, wow, and, they're, they're, they're doing great. And they're just so happy that, you know, these adversaries, it's all come around and they're like the strongest of allies. And even like, you know, Locke says, you know, well, when the next election comes up, you know what? You have my full support. I will support you yeah. in the next election. So like Big D will take over, but presumably. But then we get the actual climax of the film. <laughs> Which is, it's it's completely uh, so out of left field. When I first saw the movie, I just was like kind of flabbergasted. Um, you know, like you said, after all these great things, they're spouting figures. Um, they're doing great. They took out Ponytail Guy in a particularly brutal manner. Um, and uh, yeah, top of the world. The world is yours. You know, your your average gangster movie stuff. Top of the world. Everyone's doing awesome, making tons of money. And then it's like, uh, you know, hey, let's uh, let's go fishing. <laughs> Yeah, they're both they're both fishing at this uh, reservoir with. Uh, no, I thought that was that was Locke's wife and kid. Is that Big D's wife and kid? Did I get that confused? That's Big D's wife, uh, Locke's kid. Oh, Big D's wife, Locke's kid. That's right. Yeah, and so they're, uh, you know, and uh, Big Big D's wife goes up to use the restroom and asks the kid to come with her to be just kind of a lookout for modesty's yeah. sake. Oh hi! I was just shoveling more red hot takes into the old hardcore gaming one hundred and one opinion furnace. <clears throat> Shaq-Fu has some redeeming qualities. There's a lot of video game podcasts out there, but only HG101 has the code Jones to objectively, definitively, scientifically rank the top games of all time. No, it's definitely pronounced Co Jones. HG101's top games, twice a week, every week, right here on Game. Hey everybody, this is Andrew from Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and we are proud to be the latest addition to the Greenlit Podcast Network. If you're a superhero fan, our show will put your knowledge to the test. Did you know Tim Burton almost made a Batman musical? Or how Superman almost had a love story with his own cousin? That's disgusting. But it's true. We cover it all, mixing clips with commentaries, sketches, and impersonations. So tune in to Superhero Stuff You Should Know, available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, and everywhere you get your podcasts. And, you, and Big D has this whole like thing about how, well, you know, we can't have co-chairmen. Many branches of the, of the, of the triads do have like co-chairmen. Chairman, it would allow us to it would allow us to more effectively use power. He makes this pitch, and then Locke is like, "You know what? Yes, we will do that tomorrow. I will go to the other heads and talk about, and we'll set up this whole co-chairman thing." And you know, Big D's so powerful, and then and so so happy, and and then immediately Locke is standing behind him and beats him to death with a rock. Savagely <laughs> beats him to death with a giant rock. And what I think, what I love is that when he mentions being co-chairman, I kind of thought, I was like, are you guys already doing that, more or less? And then, um, <laughs> and what I love is that you always have this kind of, like, split in, in gangster movies. You know, you have, like, the cool-headed guy and then the hot-headed, uh, you know, loose cannon. And the hot-headed loose cannon goes like, hey, you know, let's let's be uh, co-chairman. You know, it'll, it'll work out great. And then the mellow, collected guy turns around and smashes his head in with a rock. <laughs> and it's that, like, you, and that's when you see that, um, you know, Locke isn't this cool collected guy. He's scary and crazy and will 
make a decision to murder someone just like that. Um, and when I thought of that, I something came over me, and it was something that they decided when um, Hong Kong was returned to the mainland China was the One Country, Two Systems Act. And it's very much, a, uh, I feel like it's very much a commentary on that, on that, um, on that system of governing where the second he mentions two chairmen, one society, Locke goes, no, we're not doing that. And I'm going to crush your head with a rock. I don't care if your wife is just over the, you know, ridge over here. And I don't care if my son's with me. I'm going to murder you. Well, you know, you know what, though, because I, I, I went over that scene a, a few times and something something that occurs to me uh, because, you know, because Big D's wife sort of leaves at such a key moment before they with with uh, with Locke's son before before this discussion, there's a part of me and, and just the way the wife reacts when she comes across this, the the murderer and gets brutally killed herself. Actually, there is a it, it, it occurred to me. I feel like Big D must have had a contingent. I, 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 it carried the compression that I think that the wife clearly knew that some sort of showdown was coming, and it was coordinated with Big D. And I'm thinking if Locke hadn't gone with the co-chairman thing, perhaps Big D was planning to murder him. He was planning to right. murder Locke, and right. Locke he is just son. cool-headed enough that he's already got his contingency plans. So, like, they were both... Locke... Big D was preparing to betray Locke, but Locke knows how to protect himself from a potential betrayal. Right, and... Um, like, a murder was going to happen, regardless. Oh, yeah. And there was a hole dug, I believe, too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, the hole... There was yeah. already a hole dug and shovels there. And, in fact, that that's where... That's where uh, Locke finds Big D's wife, is she's, like, by the shovels and by the open right. grave. So clearly mm-hmm. she was ready to help deal with the body. Um, and so there, there's some, some horrific violence, you know, uh, uh, Locke's son goes, you know, goes to wait in the car. And, and then after the violence though, there's this, there's this strange calm where Locke is carrying Big D's corpse up the hill. I've carried a carcass up the, up a hill before this movie gets it exactly right. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's, it's exhausting work. And then just like, just how like calm it is, you know, uh, Locke, you know, he's, he's, his muscles are aching from burying those bodies and clearing away the evidence. He gets into the car. His son's just there in the passenger seat. He gets the keys and just says, and just really tired. Let's go home. I know. Right. Like, That's... I like they just did a, like they just went to a baseball game or something. <laughs> just like a perfect beat to end this story. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, the violence but... is all the more shocking because you don't there isn't much violence in the rest of the film, or at least not to this level, not to this uh, savagery. And it's a, you know, quite an, an effective way to to end the film. And it kind of upends, uh, as you said, Alex, everything you expected about Locke, who, who seemed like the normal kind of establishment safe choice. Right. He's, he's, and it turns out, like, uh, you know, who's the who's the unpredictable, dangerous one now? <laughs> the guy mm-hmm. who, you know, is a little boisterous and loud, or you know, the guy who will crush somebody's skull and strangle some woman behind a tree in front of his son. <laughs> yeah, I, I give this movie election uh, unqualified sequel. Yes, I, I like it. Uh, it's pacing. I like all the the acting. I think is good. The story moves the characters are interesting it has some some comedy in it which i think helps and mm-hmm. curious to see where they go from here in uh, next week's uh, election triad Sorry, yeah i'm gonna give it a, a sequel yes as, as well this was such a satisfying movie 
I, I really want to see see what what these people can do a se- on a second run. Yeah, definitely, and um, definite sequel. Yes, I'm glad you guys liked it, and um, it's very much what I like is that it's a it's a very satisfying gangster film. It's a very interesting look into you know the triad organization. And it's also what I love. It's a it's a very political movie without being too overt or didactic, and it's very much a setup for the following film. And that is uh, very much an intentional decision. It wasn't like, hey, this happened to be successful. Let's make another election film. It was these are this is a two film arc that might actually be a three film arc because there's a third election film in the works, I believe. Mm. Um, and it's it's terrific. And I think. Um, I, I love what an unpredictable movie it is, and I love Johnny Toe's ability to kind of veer between political allegory, gangster film, and sometimes very dark comedy, and sometimes uh, and sometimes very um, you know traditional uh, framing devices. It's a fascinating flick, and uh, Johnny Toe makes a lot of pretty awesome movies. Yeah, he has quite the the big filmography as um, Chinese directors tend to have. I mean. It, it's almost like the old Hollywood system where they just keep on doing sometimes, you know, two, three, really four is, movies yeah. a year. Um, I mean, the budgets are more modest, but for, for the kind of stories they're doing, it makes sense. It's not like these look cheap in any way or anything. Um, okay. In fact, to the contrary. Great. Um, so, pitch a sequel. I would do, I would, uh, do a sequel uh, of Election called... Um, election, their early years, and it would it would open with the final scene from election with the beating, but kind of cut a bit faster, the hit of um, Lock on Big D, and then we would flash back to when Lock and Big D were um, children, and they used to like fishing as kids, and it would be a, a strange kind of low-key, oh, Stand By Me kind of movie. But there would be little hints to uh, them wanting to be part of the triad and, and all these things. And it would be, I changed my mind, the title is going to be Little Election. <laughs> I, I can just see the beginning now with the narration. Ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to be in a triad. Right. <laughs> and yeah, a little I bit of Goodfellas. Jodie Foster movie. Which Jodie Foster show? Uh, Bugsy, where they're, it's like all kids oh, playing. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen guns. that. Oh, Bugsy Malone, yeah. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that since I was like seven. Oh, I, I almost forgot about that picture. The wow. Music by Paul Williams, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great Paul Williams. And uh, yeah, you have all the film noir tropes. I wouldn't mind watching that one again. Um, and I think also you would, maybe the narration would be like Big D narrating. Before my head was crashed in with the boulder... I used to be Locke's friend when we were children. <laughs> See, we always liked fishing. Or, or better yet, record scratch. I bet you're wondering how I got <laughs> this situation. <laughs> or he back then he was just called D. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe there's like some something to the climax where uh, they say you're not just D, you're Big D. Right. <laughs> maybe he winks at the camera, and that's how it ends. <laughs> rise of the big d would be a bit on the nose so heart, um, there's a heart iris and da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, yeah little election is mine um crasher all right so uh, i'm gonna go completely bonkers so you know that baton 
So uh, mm. Locke, Locke is clean is cleaning the baton because they make reference about how they once had to clean it at, after a previous chairman because that previous chairman was just so filthy. So he's cleaning it, uh, and he accidentally presses a hidden switch, uh, and turns out that baton is a lightsaber. Uh, <laughs> and so it turns, and uh, suddenly the whole new world of criminality is open to the triads. Uh, they start getting involved in spice smuggling, uh, and they go to war with a hut crime syndicate. Yes, I'm pitching a second election movie that is also a Star Wars crossover. Yes. Mm. And uh, in any crossover of, of characters from the movies or TV shows or... Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be a greatest hit. So, you know, Kyle Katarn will be there despite his, uh, that'll be what brings him back into the canon. Uh, Kyle and uh, Ahsoka Tano will also be there. There'll be a great three-way lightsaber fight between Locke, uh, Kyle Katarn, and Ahsoka. It'll be great. Excellent. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's really quite, I never would have made that connection uh you know sometimes a baton is just a baton but uh, you proved me wrong on that one I, I am honestly shocked you didn't beat me to it <laughs> i don't think about star wars all the time just most of the time, most of the time yeah. <laughs> that's fair mr alex your turn okay so after the beating uh, after the dispatching of uh big d um uh, Locke and his uh, son comes home, but um, you know Locke is actually very troubled by this incident, and he feels like he's been a bogus dad exposing his kid to such violence. So he decides to go straight and um, turns uh, state witness, and then um, and then uh, you know he, he testifies against all the other triads. However, his son liked it. He it really seeing seeing his dad bash somebody's head in with a rock uh, really got something going in him. So uh, <laughs> Locke's son starts his own little triad organization. Um, starts consolidating power, you know, hustling, uh, you know, fellow students for, for, for money and what have you, and bootlegging uh, Disney merchandise. And um, it turns out Big D's um, got, uh, you know, quite a few um, illegitimate kids around the uh, Hong Kong mainland area. So they find out that the son of the, you know, the man who murdered their father has is, is, is got a gang going. So they get a rival gang going, and then they decide to settle once and for all the... the, the uh, the uh, relationship between uh, the, the com competition between Big D and Locke, and it's called a uh, triad election, the next generation. I see. Very good. Sounds compelling and more uh, legitimate, I think, than some of our ideas. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm not gonna... afraid to go gone. So that, no. no, no, no. It's a part of the sequel cast a tradition. So, Ansha, what you're watching? Um, Thrasher, what have you been watching? So I, going uh, back into uh, obscure ephemera, so I watched a uh, a series which I kind of thought was lost media and I would never get a chance to see it, but it turns out it's available in a few different sources. Mm. I watched the uh, the nineteen uh, late 1980s show Dynaman, which was the first successful attempt to bring a Super Sentai series uh, to America, uh, specifically uh, Kagaku Sentai Dynaman. Uh, however, it wasn't a straight adaptation. Uh, they took the footage from the uh, they took the footage from Kagaku Sentai Dynaman and redubbed it as a comedy. Uh, 
uh, and it was aired as part of uh, USA Network's Night Flight block, which was uh, kind of a forerunner to Adult Swim. It was perfect stoner entertainment, lots of music videos, lots of cult classics. Uh, and what's interesting about Dynaman is that Mark McKinney from The Kids in the Hall, this was one of his first TV jobs. He did some of the voice dubbing in this. Oh, oh. okay. Very cool. And anyway, I watched I watched the entire series uh, across several different platforms. Uh, and what was what was uh, fascinating about it is the pilot, the pilot is not good. The first episode is not good at all, but it gets progressively better throughout its uh, six episode run. Like the fifth the fifth episode is amazing. and they 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 manage to, with their comedy dubbing, actually tell a full story with a beginning, middle, and an end. It's not just random jokes, but it's a funny story. It works with the footage they have. For some reason, the final episode is an hour-long special that is a mockumentary based around the premise that Dynaman is the greatest show ever made, uh, and there's this huge worldwide fandom and convention for it, and they talk to all these like these fans. There's a Dynaman rap in the middle of it. Like, like it's... It's it's so much effort for what may have been an attempt to tell the network, please order more episodes of this show. <laughs> it looks, so, I've always wanted to watch it. It looks crazy. So in the mockumentary, is it the um, the people that did the English dubbing and stuff? Uh, some yeah. are and mm. uh, some aren't. Like not everybody who did the dubbing is present in the mock in the mockumentary. How strange. I mean. The thing that is not strange about it, which happened a lot, is it was not uncommon practice for um, for the American market to take some of these big um, shows, whether it's an anime or a, a, a Saijin show, and you you go and you kind of remix it into its own thing, and it's not a, a faithful adaptation. I mean, Robotech, right, was a few different animes that kind of cut together into its own storyline. Yeah, it ran for a couple seasons, yeah. But that's, uh, that's interesting that... that, that you know, before Power Rangers, there was something that had some kind of success to, to go for a whole season, at least, with uh, some future famous comedians in the cast. So, yeah, it's it's a fascinating like case of a, like like what could have been, because once the show hit a stride, I think you could have I think you could have done because there's like I've like. There's a lot of episodes of Kagaku Sentai Dynaman, so they would have had a lot of source material to to do. But we only had five actual episodes of the show, and then the uh, then the mockumentary episode. Um, so I, I think it would have been great to see what they could have done if they had kept that stride going. It, it would have been a, a, a it would have been it would still probably be a cult show, but. Uh, we would have gotten more of it, and I would certainly appreciate that. That being that being said, just as as fair warning, for whatever reason, the actual Dyna the the Dynaman team characters are dubbed with kind of over the top stereotypical uh, Japanese accent. So that's mm. uh, that that unfortunately that that unfortunately is is a bad mark uh, on the series. But the rest of it is comedy gold. And yet, that comedic trope was very, very common at that time. Oh, you so, know what else and, is weird? And this just speaks to a time when the recording industry was a lot more cavalier with music licensing. Mm. Um, the the soundtrack for Dynaman is just pop music. It is just straight up pop music of the era. 
Well, that kind of explains. I assume there's not an official release of this. I mean, with all that pop music, that gets awfully expensive to license for the home video market. That's where it gets interesting, because the first mm. two episodes are available on both, uh, I believe it's called like Night Flight Plus or Night Flight Premium, which is a streaming service that reconstructs old episodes of Night Flight. Uh, and in some cases actually let you stream archival recordings of night flight. Uh, but then there's uh -huh. also that, that uh, I don't remember the name, but the the streaming platform that's a spinoff of Crunchyroll. the first two episodes are available on that, but edited together into one movie with all the, with all the music intact. So either they're just doing it and the recording industry has not called them out on it because they just don't, because it's such an obscure title, no one cares or whatever agreement allowed them to use that music in the first place was worded just so, so they're allowed to at least stream that episode. Oh, although strangely enough, so several episodes are on YouTube in multiple part chunks. There's the episode um, with uh, the revenge of, of Flipper's Revenge, the third episode of Dynaman. <laughs> the second part is available on YouTube to stream in the United States. The first part is not. The first part is blocked in the United States because of its country of origin. Huh. I mean, YouTube lately, and probably all the services to some degree, certainly Twitch as well, has become a lot um, stricter in, in blocking and banning things. Uh, so it, I, I've seen that before where only half an episode is available. It makes uh, the hunt for what you want to watch a bit tricky, but I'm glad you're able to find and watch uh, all the episodes of that show. It, it sounds um, interesting. I never had heard of it before. Yeah, it was just something I had, I had kind of stumbled across some references to it uh, a while ago and then was, was happy to discover that it was available someplace. So I just made up a little project this past week to try to watch the whole series. That's fun. Um, I have been watching... I wouldn't say movies as much lately, more television, but I, I saw that the uh, pilot for Raised by Wolves, it's a show on HBO Max, Ridley Scott uh, produces it and directed the first episode. And I, I was talking to it with someone at work and, and she was saying, oh, oh, is that a documentary about uh, children being raised by wolves and having to go into society? And I, I said, well, no, it's about these robots that are trying to raise human children on a post-apocalyptic planet. Um, so, so it, it feels, uh, some, some of my friends on Twitter said it feels like Prometheus, the TV series. And I'll second that not as much as the alien connection, but kind of the, like one of the robots is telling dad jokes and stuff like it, it's in it, the robots have a very particular look to them and, um, some, some body horror, a lot of, it gets surprisingly bloody at some points, but the, the acting is pretty good, even the child acting, and it does a great job at, at building a world um, in in the pilot episode. I I think it's pretty good. I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, so I would recommend people check out Raised by Wolves um, on HBO Max. That looks really cool. I'm looking it up right now, and the first two episodes were directed by Ridley Scott, too, which is pretty awesome. I wonder if he's done that much television before. I know he's done commercials, but I don't see... And he's produced a lot of tele yeah. television. But it's unusual for him to be directing an episode, I thought. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think he has a lot of uh, television credits as director, but... Yeah, interesting. I'm going to check this out. Uh, what about you, Alex? 
I rewatched. Um, I guess I'm just on a Asian crime uh, kick. Um, I rewatched one of my all-time favorite movies. I try to watch at least every summer. Um, Edward Yang's A Brighter Summer Day. It's hmm. uh, such a fascinating film. It's uh, about uh, Taiwan in the '60s, and it's kind of like a it's a coming-of-age tale slash gang tale, but more like gang, like outsiders' gangs than gangster. Although these are like these kids are like teen preteens, and they're like already into like extortion and murder and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and, you know, young love and school and dealing with your parents and, uh, you know, a couple of these guys, uh, you know, have a band and they like, you know, play Elvis covers and they have like their friends like transcribe the songs into English and from Taiwanese to English and stuff. It's I, I love this movie so much. And it's it's long. It's like four hours long or something like that. Um, but I, I love it so much. It's um you really do get a feel for uh, what Taiwan was like in the 60s. And it's a very, like, moves-at-its-own-pace kind of thing. Um, there's a lot going on, but it's never rushed. It's a really it's a really wild movie. It's um, You can probably watch it on the Criterion channel or um, another streaming platform. But I would, uh, I would highly recommend A Brighter Summer Day. It's such a, such a, such a inter- unique movie. How about that? Yeah, no, it's nice sometimes those big kind of meal of a movie you can kind of sit and lose yourself in and kind of yeah i I tried to put it on to fall asleep actually i was like oh this will put me to sleep and i just got into it oh man (laughs) yeah the same thing happened to me the other day when i was watching the first uh, killjoy movie did you ever see those thrasher oh with with the the murderous clown yes from uh uh, whatchamacallit yes and and in fact i almost (laughs) talked about one of the latter Ginger Dead Man movies, which is a oh crossover with Killjoy. <laughs> yeah, the way they've done that cinematic universe over at Full Moon is odd. Well, they've been doing shared cinematic yes. universes for ages, but it's particularly sure. ad hoc now. Mm-hmm. Where it's... Uh... Oh, boy, what was it? I like the one title, uh, Ginger Dead Man versus Evil Bong. <laughs> <laughs> And, and just the box art is exactly what you think it is. Uh, quite quite something. Gary Busey um, voiced yeah, him in the original, but they cheaped out on the later ones. Ah, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, now it's always somebody doing an impression of Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> but Gary Busey is actually in the live acting segments where you get to see how the ginger dead man comes to be. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> using the requisite one or two location shoots that um, the full moon does. It's quite, you know, it's not as scuzzy as trauma, but um, it has its own charms. Would you say that's fair thrasher? I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call, okay. I wouldn't call trauma scuzzy. Uh, I would call trauma unafraid to get its hands dirty. They're sort of about more of a raw cinematic experience with, with full moon, especially as it currently exists. They're clearly trying to hit these sort of like these beats to guarantee a certain amount of streaming and directed video success. Yeah. Perhaps a better word for trauma would be goopy. (laughs) That would describe a lot of their special effects. Yeah. You could, um, God, you could feel the slime dumping on the people. All right. On that note, uh, we're not going to do a sequel scene because we can't find one. It's harder to find these for foreign films on 
IMDb. So um, that's that. Uh, So next week we're talking about, I got the name wrong. I called it Election Triad. It's Triad Election, also known as Election 2. Came out just the next year in 2006. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. And um, I'm going to plug... I did a uh, review of a horror film I liked recently at Film Inquiry called Uncle Peckerhead. It's um, a, a, a comedic horror movie about a, a, a punk band, indie punk band, doing their first road trip, and uh, zaniness ensues, and this guy that becomes their roadie uh, for 11 minutes at night turns into the vicious Uncle Peckerhead. <laughs> so it's... It's pretty fun. It, it, it takes a bit to get started. I, I didn't quite know what to think of it, but if um, it's available on streaming services, I recommend people give that a look and check out my review of that at filminquiry.com. Uh, Drasher. All right. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Internet Mayor. Also, uh, the Puppy Dragon Enamel Pin Kickstarter that I'm doing that I mentioned on the previous episode, that is still going strong. So if you want to take a look at that Kickstarter and support it in any way you can, uh, just look for Puppy Dragon Enamel Pins on Kickstarter. Or just follow the link in my pin tweet. Remember, I am at Internet Mayor. Uh, we are... We we are we are so close to hitting our goal. We really want to hit those stretch goals. Uh, this has been a really fun character to work on. So check out the Puppy Dragon Enamel Pins Kickstarter. And is it true that you're you're making the pins with with a few drops of real Puppy Dragon blood? Uh, no, that is a baseless rumor. Uh, you're being glib. Uh, I deny the premise of your question. <laughs> All right, Alex. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914 and um, drop by the Trailer Project YouTube channel if you want to see trailer commentaries or various videos about Dennis Hopper for some reason. <laughs> Space <laughs> Truckers is an underrated classic. I damn uh, right it is. <laughs> yes, as is the Super Mario Brothers movie, which we've talked about at painful length on the show in the past and we'll probably talk about it again. Uh, oh, we should do a sequel to our audio commentary for that movie. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. I mean, <laughs> okay, well, we'll talk about that offline. So, um, you know, listen to the show uh, on your favorite podcast app. We're also on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're all over the place. It's crazy. And uh, uh, go to Twitter at SequelCast2 to find stuff out there. In addition, um, Leave us a nice review on the Apple Podcast app. All that stuff helps with the downloads. Recently, we charted for film and TV review podcasts in the Philippines. So nice. you never know who's listening. That's very cool. Also in South Africa. It's a, right. it's a wild ride out there. So for SequelCast 2, this is Matt. <laughs> this is Thrasher. And this is Alex. Saying... Talk to me when you have the baton. I prepare no lengthy speeches. My tenure as chairman should speak for itself. Hey, have you looked at this uh, big boulder? Do you think it would fit in your head okay? I think I can line it up and, and really... Uh, it might look good as a hat. <laughs> they should have named him Big Head. I'm reminded of a, a musical number in the the musical of the Full Monty, 
uh, called Big Ass Rock, where a character talks about he should kill himself with a big ass rock. It's a <laughs> odd uh, moment to be sure. <laughs> 